Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. I've been trying to get the Apocalypse Burnout Trophy and I've been having a really hard time of it. I've looked up all of the tips and the kind of how-to guides. I have the right tires on, I have the right engine, I have nitro, etc, etc, etc. I know how to do it. I just can't find the right place. I don't know what it is. Everyone says do it outside the Hot Springs camp. It doesn't work for me. I always end up crashing into a car or a freaker or a tree or something. If anyone knows where to do this, where's a good spot, let me know. Although I will say I had fun traversing the map trying to find a good place and I found Jessica's grave, which I'd heard about and I'd never found it before. It's a grave marker and written on the wall of a cliff or a rock or whatever behind it is the name Jessica and it has the date that they were presumably born and died and there's not even three months. And it's just really sad to think that, you know, a baby was born in this world and died in this world and you don't know if it was freakers or just something air quotes mundane and, and, you know, sort of remnant of the old world, like Sid's sudden infant death syndrome. It's just a kind of sad thing about a baby being born in the apocalypse. That, that makes me think of all the people that have had children in the pandemic. And, you know, I had my baby six months before everything locked down. So I was just coming out of maternity leave and kind of the newborn fog and then bam, everything shut down and we've basically been living the lockdown life since then. And it's been really weird and I can't imagine getting pregnant and having a baby while we're all locked down, like doing that whole process pretty much on your own. It's it's hard enough raising a child when you don't have anyone, <laughs> you can't go anywhere or have anyone come visit you or have, you know, use daycare or nannies or anything like that. I've been completely on my own apart from my husband, of course. He's fantastic. But that has just been the two of us. And I hate it when people say, oh, it takes a village to raise a baby. Well, what do you do if you don't have a village? Anyway, let's talk about today's topic. I want to touch briefly on the reviews that Days Gone originally got when it was released back in 2019. I haven't read a lot of them because from what I've heard, they were all pretty terrible. I was just reading one from The Verge and the headline is Days Gone is a lavishly produced, painfully generic PS4 zombie game. And I want to talk about that phrase, painfully generic, because when I bought the game, it did seem kind of generic, and that was kind of why I bought it, because it just touched on everything that I love. Zombies, post-apocalyptic world, a cool badass biker boy <laughs> the main character. I've said this before, it seemed on the surface kind of like, you know, The Walking Dead meets Sons of Anarchy, and that is kind of generic. And a lot of the details about Deacon and the world, and even the name of the game, seems to reference things that have come before it. So it does feel a little derivative, a little generic, but that's just on the surface. I think the thing that captures so many people once they play the game is the level of detail and the originality and the elevation of the genre in subtle ways. So sure, on the surface, The Walking Dead meets Sons of Anarchy, but really that's where the similarity ends. For starters, the zombies, you know, this is a zombie game. I know they're freakers. I know they're not dead. They're not undead. They're not zombies in the game. But essentially, we all know this is a zombie apocalypse game. 
The backstory of the Freakers gives us a different impression of what they are compared to how they are visually designed. The visual design says zombie. No bones about it. Like, a thousand percent, that's what they are. The, the tattered clothing, you know, scrawny, skinny, hungry for our brains. They have, you know, they're just, they're zombies. Certainly, like, the ragers and the, you know, the animal versions of the zombies, they're, <laughs> I said it myself, the animal versions of the Freakers. They, they look like zombies. And we know that's the world that we're in. That's the genre, the subgenre of horror. It's a zombie horror survival game. That is what it is. And that's why we love it. That's what brought us to it. You know, that is what we're all here for. But when you get into the story of the Freakers and how they're infected with a virus, but it's not killing them and bringing them back to life or reanimating them in some way. The closest thing in, in the zombie genre is 28 Days Later, which are what I call rage zombies, where they are not really zombies, they're not dead, but they have been infected with something that basically makes them lose their fucking shit and just want to kill everything and they're just enraged. And the Freakers are kind of like that. Like, they haven't died, they are still alive, but they are just super violent. And we see this in the flashback to Outbreak Day, when Sarah gets stabbed by the little girl, and you just see, like, the, there's nothing zombie about that little girl, apart from the fact that she just crazily just stabbed someone for absolutely no reason. And they get into that a little bit with the scientists. They mention how the Freakers have kind of lost their sense of, of humanity, there's a moment where they kind of touch on the idea that the humanity is coming back, that they found a freaker who has been wearing jewellery as if they're trying to kind of rebuild their old life. And again, it's a little muddied because they're talking about them like they're not human now, which obviously they are because they're not zombies, they're not dead, they're just infected. Uh, but I can understand why the scientists who were in that ivory tower, you know, separated from everything, flying around in their helicopters, rarely being out in the shit rarely touching the shit and piss-strewn ground that everyone else has to walk on. There's also the idea that Sarah is trying to create a cure. You know, you can't cure zombies. They're dead. It's done. The only cure is a bullet in the brain to make them not zombies anymore. But with the Freakers, you know, she has this idea of reversing the virus, of curing it somehow. And interestingly, this is a little side note, there are a lot of questions about the infection rate and if the people in the camps and like, you know, Deacon and Sarah and the Colonel and, and Iron Mike and Schizo and yada yada yada, all those characters, if they can be infected or if it's presumed that they are somehow immune and that everyone who's going to be infected has been infected and has become a freaker or has died. You obviously have the neuroscientists who walk about in their little spacesuit, hazmat suit things, implying that they are concerned about infection. And then I found, if you go into the collectibles, there's actually a series of audio, like voice memos that Sarah does for herself that you can listen to. And she talks about when she's experimenting on the newt that Deacon brings back for her. She has a guard placed outside her lab in case she gets infected and he has to kill her. She's worried that if she gets infected in the middle of the militia camp, that that would just fuck up everything for the militia. So she has someone stationed there, ready to put a bullet in her head if things go south. And I thought that was, that was a really interesting thing, that it shows that they are worried about infection still, that they're not automatically immune. They don't fully understand what this virus is. 
wouldn't it be weird if there were different strains? Like we've seen during the pandemic that viruses evolve. Wouldn't it be interesting if the different freakers in the game, the Reachers and the Screamers, if the variances were caused by different strains of the virus? Speaking of different types of freakers, that's another thing that makes this game unique, are the different enemies that you encounter, because you have your different freakers, which are all really, really interesting. The breakers, the reachers, screamers are my favorite. I love I love those gals. And the, the detail that they put into those things as well, like when, when the screamers are nearby, like but not aware of you, they hum. They're kind of like singing a little tune to themselves. I think that's really creepy and cool. They also designed a really rich world of human enemies. I mean, you have the marauders and, you know, your ambush camps, but you also have the rippers. I mean, that is fucking cool. That is unique. I can't believe that this review was just like, eh, this is a generic game with generic enemies. Like, no, the rippers. The thought that was put into the story of the rippers and the RIP, rest in peace, you know, the whole like mentality, the mythology, I guess, of the rippers is really well thought out and really cool. And I love that they, the the way that the rippers react with the freakers. I love actually the way all of the different enemies interact with each other. The way the Freakers will chase deer, the way a, a Rager will take on a Breaker. Like, it's so fucking cool and well thought out, and I can't believe that people thought this was a generic zombie game, because it's so detailed. And I also like the different levels of animals that you have. I mean, it, you have wolves and cougars that are just basic animals. Like, real-world, everyday animals that could attack any of us right now if we go to the, the wrong place. They put those in the world. I mean, being stalked by a cougar is fucking terrifying in the game. And when you hear the wolves howl and you're like, oh shit, and one of them knocks you off your bike and you're like, how many more are there? And then, of course, you have the freaker level animals, the, the ragers and the runners and the criers. The criers used to really scare me until I figured out that when you hear them go, Kah! you hit roll and they miss you. They can't hit you and it, it, you just keep rolling around. Another thing that makes this game unique are the political points of view of our camp leaders. And I touched on this in the previous episode about the camps. Tucker and Copeland, and Iron Mike too, the points of view that they have politically, you know, Copeland's like a NRA, anti-government, conspiracy theorist kind of nut job, and Tucker being, you know, sort of warden of a prison, and how she runs her camp accordingly to those ideals. I don't think those things have been put in a game before. I can't think of any characters that have that level of detail of backstory that directly influences what they do in the game, and the, how that directly influences your experience as the protagonist in the game. And then, of course, you've got Nero, which is another layer to the, this whole world. The helicopters flying around and the mystery of what they're doing is fascinating. And the way, all the missions that you do where you have to go and like, eavesdrop on the scientists, the missions themselves Maybe you're a little dull. And I have a hard time. I'm a very visual person. So when anything's like literally just audio, I have to really focus on it and really force myself to pay attention. I tune out very easily. It's kind of ironic that I'm doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> so I have a hard time listening to the words. And I, I, when I'm like hiding in the bushes and worrying about getting caught, I have a hard time focusing on what they're talking about. So sometimes the details kind of go in one ear and out the other. But I got enough of it to kind of understand that there's a whole 
other world of shit that's going on with Nero and what they're doing and their plan and and obviously when you get to the end 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 of the game like after you finish the main story and done all your missions and then you get to meet up with O'Brien for that final scene you know the whole like what the fuck have these Nero guys been doing you know mad science experiments or god knows what and Sarah's backstory as well you know how Cloverdale was involved was creating the virus and you know it got out accidentally but it was supposed to be I guess a bioweapon of some description because she mentions that they create weapons and she doesn't want her research going towards that and obviously she's kind of annoyed to find out that they used it anyway which is a little naive on her part but really at the end of the day it's the relationships that make this game what it is Deacon and Sarah Deacon and Boozer the militia hierarchy Ricky I'm Mike Schizo those are the elements that really bring this game to life. And I think all of these people that reviewed the game and thought, meh, it's generic, it's a zombie open world game, whatever, they obviously didn't get far enough into the story to understand what makes it special. Because it's those characters that bring it to life. You know, it's all about how they connect and influence each other's lives. That's what makes this game truly a hidden gem. And I wish that the reviewers would go back, (laughs) I wish we could go back in time and get the reviewers to play it for just a few hours more. And then they'd see, they'd see what we see. They know what we know (laughs) about how amazing this game is and how rich the character stories are and how emotional it is and how it's not generic. I mean, sure, like I said, on the surface, it's The Walking Dead meets Sons of Anarchy. Okay, but it has far too many specific details to be called generic. Anyone who says it's generic is just looking at the cover art. You all know what I'm talking about. I'm preaching to the choir. We all know that this game is fantastic. Detailed and layered and it draws you in. And what is it with this game that once you play it and you finish it, nothing else is interesting? I look at the other games sitting on my shelf, you know, the next ones that have lined up to play and I'm like, I think I'll play Days Gone again. There's just something about the world that I just want to live in and I don't want to leave. And I know you know what I'm talking about because here you are listening to this podcast. Which thank you, by the way, for everyone listening. I appreciate your ears. I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think makes Days Gone special? What is it about this game that has you hooked, that reeled you in, that brought you into being so much of a fan that you're here listening to this podcast. What do you love about Days Gone? Let me know and we'll talk about it some more in the next episode. Because that's what we do. We love to talk about Days Gone because it's fantastic and we all love it. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.